Hey, it's Mark Shifley here. You're listening to the Jet Centric Podcast. All right, everybody. Welcome back to the Jet Centric Podcast. Today, it's your host, Justin, with you, and I'm very excited to bring a very special guest along with me. It's Ken Weed from Sportsnet and, of course, the Kenny and Rennie show making his uh, return to the Jet Centric Podcast. Super excited to have you back on, Ken. Um, so first off, welcome back. And how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Justin. Thanks. Uh, great to be with you. How about yourself? How are you doing today? Very, uh, very excited to get into this. Obviously, with uh, the recent uh, play of the Jets, it's uh, certainly going into the trade deadline going to be really, uh, really exciting. I mean, there's a lot of different routes that they could take and I guess a lot of different outcomes that this season could uh, still entail. So very, uh, very excited to uh, to hop into this and, and chat with you. Um, so first of all, I, I, I hear that you are you're back on the road. So uh, traveling and covering the team. So how is, uh, how's the weather down there? Is it, uh, is it a little better than, than kind of the, the, the brutal snow we've had up in Winnipeg? <laughs> yeah, I have to be honest, Justin, it was a great break uh, to be in Arizona for 15 days. I uh, kind of got out of the deep freeze. Great for the mental health. I uh, got right. out, played a couple rounds of golf, but uh, we were there to sell our uh, rental property in Arizona. So was able to get that uh, wrapped up as well. And it was nice to carry on to the uh, games in New Jersey and New York and to St. Louis. St. Louis is a, such a fun place. I was able to spend two rounds there in 2019. First the Jet Series and then the Dallas Stars uh, epic seven gamer there that ended with the Pat Maroon double overtime goal. So uh, always a fun special city to be around. And yeah, it was just nice to be uh, you know seen around the rink. I uh, get a little different opportunity to speak to players that we haven't really had in these last two years when uh, things have been kind of restricted to either Zoom calls or podium uh, appearances. So, I mean, odd as it may sound to, to folks listening, I mean, uh, Brendan Dillon is a guy who's very talkative, but I literally have not had a face-to-face -face conversation with him outside of at the podium for two years. When The last time he was here as a member of the San Jose Sharks, it was about a week prior to the trade deadline. And when I was still at the Athletic, I did a story on him preparing for what it was like to be moved. So uh, we kind of revisited that conversation. But uh, Brennan's been a great addition to the Jets, but haven't really had any of those personal interactions and was able to speak with him uh, in Newark on uh, Thursday morning. So that was uh, that was nice there as well. And yeah, it's just interesting. You know, you see friendly faces from media folks that you know from the rinks and even things as, as, as simple as the uh, elevator attendance in those cities. It's just kind of nice to, to be back in the arenas. And uh, for me, I just had the one road trip in November where I went to Columbus, which again, unfortunately with the timing of Patrick Liney's injury, uh, there was so much buildup going into that game. Still, it was right. a big game for Pierre-Luc Dubois uh, in his return to Columbus for the first time since the trade. But uh, I think a lot of folks uh, have some high anticipation for that March 25th uh, game against the Columbus Blue Jackets when Patrick Laine and Jack Rosvick will be back. But uh, it was great to be back, but also great to be home. I, I left on February 22nd and got back on the um, 14th of, of March. So uh, good to be back sleeping in my own bed as well. All right, that's uh, that's good to hear. I, I I know you said you got a few rounds of golf. Any more hole in ones to report, or or uh, not yet? Just buzzed the tower one time, but uh, <laughs> I, I had one club too many. Otherwise, it was tracking pretty nicely. But uh, yeah, it was great to great any uh, any bonus round in February or March is uh, right. absolutely awesome and always <laughs> always great to get the uh, MB Golf Tour underway uh, for 2022. That's for sure. Awesome. So uh, before we dive right into the, I guess, the meat of this episode, I'm going to give our listeners just a bit of a, you know, current state, kind of the context of the team right now. So we are recording. Uh, this is a Wednesday afternoon here. The Winnipeg Jets just came off of their uh, seven to three win over the Vegas Golden Knights last night, Tuesday at Canada Life Center. Um, and that puts the Jets uh, 61 games played 
this season with a 28, 23 and 10 record, puts them in sixth in the Central Division and 11th in the Western Conference, but uh, just two points back of Vegas with a game in hand for that final wildcard slot. However, you do have to be wary of the Dallas Stars who, uh, despite only being one point ahead of the Jets, have three games in hand. So while it might look like Vegas is the team they're catching, they got to worry about Dallas and of course as well, Vancouver. Um, Dallas is at a 57.8 points percentage and the Jets at 54.1. So perhaps uh, Dallas is a team to worry about. And of course the Jets are winners of four of their last five and uh, six, two and one in their last nine. So they've kind of been able to get on a bit of a hot streak and make the, the trade deadline very uh, an interesting topic for Kevin Sheveldayoff. So before we focus specifically on uh, a playoff push or a trade deadline or selling, I want to just give you uh, a, an opportunity to give your your overall general thoughts on the season. Uh, Ken, obviously it's been quite a roller coaster. There's been slow starts. There was the uh, the slide that ended up uh, and then Paul Maurice left as head coach and then Dave Lowry took over and then a very slow kind of January followed by a very fast paced February and now kind of the, the hot streak and uh, kind of maybe this this push for the for the second wild card. So, um, yeah, what is your overall, I guess, temperature on the Jets kind of 61 games in here, Ken? Yeah, I think you, you nailed it right on the head, Justin, with the roller coaster. I mean, I think that uh, the fans have been going on the roller coaster, the players, uh, the coaching staff, management. Uh, it's been an interesting, the one thing we have to say about the Jets is that they have been interesting to monitor uh, uh, sort of big, these big swings have been very strange. I mean, this team has prided itself on consistency, especially during their runs to the conference final and then the secondary battle uh, for the central division title the following year. But uh, it has been a perplexing season for sure. So you have this team that has gone from being an offensive juggernaut to struggling to score uh, 27 times with two goals or fewer. Uh, when you get to almost the three quarter point of the season, uh, that was something that nobody would have predicted. Everyone predicted their goals against would be lower because they've upgraded the defense core. Yet now all of a sudden the Jets have, have gone uh, to, I believe now 15 times where they've had five goals or more. And suddenly they're 15th in the NHL in goals for instead of in the bottom third round 21st or 22nd, which is where they had resided for quite some time. So they've had the, the feast or famine going pretty heavily. Uh, we know that goaltending is a topic that has been uh, very uh, front burner uh, in terms of the issues uh, for the fan base. And I mean, for me, you can put me squarely in the camp that no, it has not been a Vesna-like season for Connor Hellebuck, but uh, his goal saved above average uh, is still at a very good level. Uh, again, if you asked him if he wanted to play a little bit better, sure, he would say that he would. But I would also say that on a lot of nights, Connor Hellebuck, especially early in the season, Justin, I think he had a stretch of eight consecutive games where he allowed two or fewer and the Jets only won three of those games. So, mm -hmm. I mean, everyone's looking, you know, recency bias is a real thing. Uh, his last stretch where he had four or six in a row of four or more, that wasn't good enough. And I think the thing that has been a little bit surprising is that Connor Hellebuck has been the second best goalie on the ice um, more times than we're used to seeing, I guess that, that would be how I would describe it. And a lot of it, I'm not saying it's his fault, but through a combination of circumstances and the Jets uh, puck management struggles, uh, I would say that the numbers haven't been uh, what we're used to seeing, but I mean, it goes deeper than that to me. I mean, I think uh, Hellbuck needs to be a little bit sharper. I think we've seen uh, him play. I, I thought he played very confidently against the St. Louis blues uh, and he was steady uh, in the game against the Vegas school of the Knights. He had to be sharp early, 
you know, obviously we know Vegas had the first six shots on goal before the Jets got their Bronx cheer uh, <laughs> and, uh, and rebounded from there to, you know, win the shot on goal totals 10 to seven in the first. But uh, for me, we know that this is the thing. I mean, from the very beginning, average goaltending is not enough for the Jets. Connor Hellebuck has been superhuman for a very long time. And in a year where he's been just slightly above average, uh, it hasn't covered up some of the warts that the Jets have uh, throughout their roster when it comes to their def defensive deficiencies. However, I would say there are some uh, other emerging storylines. I mean, obviously, Pierre-Luc Dubois and his rebound season has been kind of front of mind. Josh Morris, he's having a dynamic season on the back end where he's uh, back to establishing himself as the clear-cut number one guy on the back end after going through some really difficult personal tragedy. And then the emergence of Kyle Connor. I mean, we know that some of his defensive metrics still continue to need work, but his ability to become an elite-level penalty killer and continue to be a high-end uh, point producer and finisher has been remarkable to watch. And um, I mean, five consecutive games with a goal, but it's the timeliness of those goals. And I mean, his ability, he scored a ton in the third period and he leads the Jets by a substantial margin in game winners. So uh, those would be some of the things that have sort of stood out to me. But uh, the, like you said, with almost a quarter of the season left, the real story is, is kind of yet to be told around the corner. Right. And um, you mentioned Hellebuck there, and I think that's uh, something I wouldn't mind to, to dive into a little deeper. So obviously his, uh, his raw numbers this year is a 908 save percentage. And I think the record, which perhaps isn't the best metric for goaltending, but it's 21, 21 and nine, I think. And Eric Comrie's obviously, I think is, is seven, two and one. So, so quite a little bit better. I'm like, and if you look at the analytics, they suggest he's, he's been all right, as you said, but, but, but certainly not up to his, uh, you know, Vezina, Vezina caliber seasons that he's had over the past you know two three seasons I guess do you think like the the, the little bit in in little dip in his play is, is just kind of a coincidence or do you think it's it's somewhat due to being overworked I mean he's played some some back-to-back -back games he's played quite a lot of the games a, a lion's share of the games and I know he's a guy that 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 likes that but do you kind of sense it's it's a little bit of fatigue creeping in or do you think it's kind of just a coincidence yeah, I think there have been times where fatigue has been a factor, and I think that's what led to Eric Comrie starting the game in St. Louis, uh, you know, back uh, before the All-Star break. I mean, I wrote, uh, I thought it would have made sense to start Eric Comrie on Sunday as well. I mean, I did understand why the Jets were probably leaning towards Hellebuck, and they got the result they wanted. Uh, Eric Comrie's done a fantastic job. We know that he was one of the number one concerns going into the season from the fan base. I mean, management gave him a vote of confidence, Wade Flaherty, expressed his belief in him going into free agency. And Eric Harmony has done a fantastic job in a small, small sample size. He's earning more uh, ice time, I would say, but uh, it's a little bit more complex for me, Justin. I mean, I'm not a parent, but just or, uh, Connor Hellbuck is a first time father. Uh, I mean, I'm sure there is an adaptation period there. I mean, he had COVID basically in the, in the three weeks going into where goalies would generally be ramping their training up. So I'm sure there would be a physical component to that that kind of set him back a little bit at the start of the year. Uh, and then he, he had the non-COVID illness right around the time the, the, the birth of his child. So uh, that was when Eric Conley first started to kind of get into a bit of a rhythm. And yeah, you're right. I mean, Connor Hellbuck is a guy who thrives on rhythm, like workload needs to be heavy, but 
I, I think there have been times where I, I think that the Jets would benefit from maybe getting an extra game for Comrie, but there was that fine balance. And then Comrie got COVID when he was probably going to have a start in there as well. So it complicated matters even further. Uh, and then because of the Jets' predicament in terms of where they were in the standings, they got themselves even further behind the eight ball uh, where it led to kind of running their number one guy. Uh, I think that with the all-star break and, and with the way the schedule has been spread out, I don't think that fatigue is a huge factor, uh, but I do agree. I mean, Connor has not been as sharp as we're used to seeing him, but I think the team in front of him needs to be better as well. I think it's a sort of a two-way street and uh, Connor Hellba kind of remains the foundation of this hockey club. We know they have elite level finishing. We know that, you know, depend when their depth is going, like with Adam Lowry having a strong second half compared to the tough first offensively when he only had the three goals, uh, the Jets, you know, all of a sudden that one, two, three punch down the middle uh, that they were expected to have going into the season. Now Lowry's on the verge of another double digit goal scoring season. Uh, we know that, you know, one of the things we talked about, uh, you know, a lot lately was the depth and the balance. But now with Nikolai Ehlers jumping back in the top six, now it's up to some of the guys like Evgeny Svechnikov and Jansen Harkins to sort of pick up the slack and uh, to see where things are with Andrew Kopp. I think the expectation is that he did not suffer a concussion, which is great news for him, first and foremost, given his you know, medical history with four documented concussions. Uh, then that will also be a, a big question and decision going into the trade deadline as well. But um, I, I do think that Hellebuck can be better. Uh, he would be the first to tell you that. But I do think he has been better than some people think. I think we need to look a little bit deeper than just those raw numbers. And mm -hmm. much like baseball, where, you know, Cy Young used to go with the guy with the most wins. I mean, there's a <laughs> lot more of those underlying numbers that um, sort of would suggest otherwise. But the, the bigger issue, too, is that Hellebuck has had a couple goals that uh, would be of the soft variety uh, and that those have been a little bit deflating at times. But the thing about Connor Hellebuck, Justin, as you know, generally when he gives up one of those or has a tough period, he's done a nice job of kind of parking that and then sort of slamming the door afterwards. So uh, it'll be interesting to see. I mean, the Jets are going to need, they're going to be leaning on Hellebuck. He's going to probably play as long as they stay in the race. He's probably playing, you know, 16 to 17 of those 21, I'm guessing. I mean, mm -hmm. uh, that the over-under would be interesting to monitor, but it's going to be 15 for sure. And I would say it's probably going to be higher than 16. But uh, I mean, Eric Comrie has done a fantastic job. I think he's uh, alleviated some of the concerns. I think he's done a nice job of um, establishing himself as a bona fide number two guy. And as we know, it's a tough job. Look what happened to Lauren Brassois now. I mean, Lauren Brassois is getting the opportunity that he has been you know, asking for his entire career and certainly not pinning the game on him. The Jets are very opportunistic in those four goals on 13 shots. Uh, but, you know, it's a hard job to be the number one guy and be leaned on. But Eric Comrie's done a great job in a supporting role and he will continue to do so down the stretch. I would imagine, you know, even though his opportunities could be limited. Right. And I, I, I do agree. I, I think it is a two-way street. It's, it's certainly not, not all on, on, on Halibut, as you said. And uh, yeah, I think uh, it'll be interesting to see. I mean, he's always bounced back before, you know, when he's faced adversity in his career. And uh, certainly I wouldn't bet against him at this point. Um, anyway, so uh, we we'll guess we'll, we'll kind of switch gears here and, and talk about the, uh, the recent uh, kind of uh, improved play by the, by the jets. And uh, obviously, as I mentioned off the top uh, four out of uh, five uh, winners of four of their last five, I should say, and uh, six, two and one in their last nine. So they've kind of been streaking. They've gotten a little bit hot here. Um, and the playoff chances, you know, I'll be honest, after that, uh, that Dallas loss, 
uh, and the kind of, you know, really unfortunate circumstances where they, uh, they get up that goal late and perhaps a bit of a, a, bit of a, a bad break that they didn't get a, a call there uh, to go their way. And then obviously Dallas not only ties it, but wins it in overtime. That's a three-point swing. I thought it was done. But uh, now they've kind of gotten hot, and uh, some of the uh, different models uh, out there that track the uh, the uh, the playoff chances. Uh, Money puck is a little more pessimistic on the Jets at nine percent, but uh, Dom Lachizan, I believe, is how you say it from the Athletic, is at around fifteen, and Micah Blake McCurdy of uh, HockeyViz.com has the Jets at twenty eight point one percent chance as of today. So a little more optimistic. Still not a great chance at the playoffs. But certainly this 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 hot stretch, and I think a lot of it has to do with uh, with Nick Ehlers returning to the lineup, has kind of given the Jets some life. Um, specifically, since Ehlers returned to the lineup, they've been uh, outplaying the opposition more. I have the numbers in the seven games he's been back at five on five. They have been above average in expected goals at fifty one point four two. Corsi is uh, right at fifty percent, and the actual goals for is fifty one. So they've been. Uh, certainly uh, getting getting the, the underlying metrics and also in terms of actual goals, which is something that they've struggled to have throughout the majority of the year. Um, now that they're able to have Ehlers back and kind of that dynamic element that he brings to the lineup and, you know, they were running, I guess, three kind of scoring lines there for a while when Ehlers was with Lowry and then they had the, 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 the other top two lines rolling. And I think it just gives a, a, a whole nother element to this team. And uh, I guess, uh, do you think that now that now that they're getting healthy, and I know Cop is 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 out, but but now that they've gotten Ehlers back, you think this is the the real Jets team down the stretch, or do you think it's just a, a blip in the radar and perhaps you know uh, they'll uh, they'll 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 kind of cool off again? Yeah, certainly closer to what we expected, I would say, Justin. I mean, Nikolai Ehlers is a dynamic player. There's no doubt about that, and his the speed element of his game, and you know the the one man zone entry machine, and uh, the things that he does to push back the de- defenders. It just it does it sets up so many lanes and layers for the Jets, whether it's getting the second wave involved or having his line mates like you know Kyle Connor being open in a quiet zone in the slot, P- Pierre Luc Dubois working the puck down low. I mean. Uh, he's done it, you know, again, that the fact that they missed him is not breaking news, but how much they missed him, I think, is, was very evident. Um, and especially when it comes to, I mean, we talked so much about the Jets' struggles in extra time. I mean, in overtime last year, they were almost a guaranteed win night, especially when they got their three forward grouping going. Uh, when Ehlers was gone, they they didn't win. A, I don't think they won a single extra time game. So, uh, and because of that extra open ice, I mean, I know the debate was always that Ehlers needed to play more to begin with. Uh, when they started to move towards the three forward set that allowed him to get into the rhythm a little bit more. And I think we saw it again uh, on Tuesday against Vegas. I mean, Nikolai Ehlers draws two of the three minors and Pierre-Luc Dubois does the other. I mean, Dubois is among the league leaders in that category. And again, I know some people think that that's, it's it's sort of one of those outliers or maybe it's not a big deal, but uh, Ehlers, his ability to draw those minors in addition to what Pierre-Luc Dubois has done in terms of the physical engagement. And, you know, the, the one yesterday was a great example. I mean, because of his strength and power, he basically forced the Golden Knights player to latch onto him and draw the holding penalty. And now Ehlers does that with his speed all the time. And it was just interesting. I mean, the March so retaliation slash, I mean, if the original penalty where Marcheseau felt he was slashed himself was called, now all of a sudden, what if Vegas scores in the power play? It's a 5-4 game. 
instead of the other way around uh, might have been interesting. But yeah, I mean, the Jets missed Ehlers. Uh, there's no doubt about that. Uh, the roster has sort of been in flux all year long. You've had guys bouncing up and down the lineup. Uh, they didn't have a lot of roster continuity and they went through that long stretch where, you know, between the, the Blake Wheeler injury on December 10th and Ehlers going out, uh, you know, in the game against Washington, they really missed a big chunk of time with, with top six guys out of the lineup. And for a team that was struggling to score goals, uh, not having Ehlers in the lineup was a, was a major loss. I mean, I had him down for this was, I thought this would be the season that Ehlers not, not only eclipsed 30 for the first time, I thought he had a real shot at scoring 40 goals this year. And I think that, I mean, man, if he had played with Dubois and Connor the whole time, uh, I would say that that's a very, uh, you know, um, attainable goal. But Ehlers isn't a personal stats and glory kind of person, but he's the kind of guy that can be a difference maker down the stretch. So having him back, I think, uh, would allow the Jets to continue to play well. But, I mean, they just can't afford any stumbles. 6-2-1 and one is basically the bare minimum for how they're going to have to play down right. the stretch just because they don't have a lot of games in the head-to-head -head variety against the teams that they're chasing. So uh, that made last, you know, that made the Tuesday night game against Vegas essential. But the fact of the matter remains, a split against Vegas in the head-to-head -head probably does the Jets no good. They, they not only needed the Tuesday night, they need next Tuesday mm -hmm. in order to stay alive. Uh, the interesting thing for me with the Dallas Stars being without Miro Haskinen, a lot of people I don't think understand how talented he is. I know the hardcore fans do, but like this is a guy who's a legit Norris trophy kind of caliber type of defenseman and not having him due to mononucleosis, I think is a big blow for the Dallas Stars. Uh, but there too, they've sort of been a feast or famine team. Uh, they go on these wild stretches where they win a bunch and then they sometimes can't score either. So they're interesting to monitor. I mean, the Vancouver Canucks, I mean, what are they going to do? Lots of thoughts about Vancouver selling. Uh, I personally think they should keep JT Miller. I understand the, the premise of striking while the iron's hot and maximizing value. But to me, JT Miller is a guy that Vancouver should want to build around uh, because the moment you send him out the door, you're look, guess what? You're looking for a 30 goal guy <laughs> who plays on your top power play on your top penalty kill is a leader and is sort of a culture carrier. And it's hard to find all of those guys in one replacement player, or even if you get a couple of prospects. So uh, watching to see what uh, Patrick Alvine and Jim Rutherford and company do in Vancouver will be interesting. Uh, Dallas, obviously locking up Joel Pavelski that takes out one of their big decisions leading up to the trade deadline. But uh, the teams that ahead of, that are ahead of the jets are going to be interesting to monitor. We know Vegas has some issues on the LTIR side and some injuries and there too, have the Edmonton Oilers figured it out? Or will there be a deterioration in the goaltending down the stretch as well? I mean, that, that's another storyline. I would say right now the Oilers look very solid. but um, And also, too, I think the Anaheim Ducks are a team that the Jets just recently leapfrogged. It looks like their sell-off is on. Uh, that's probably going to diminish their chances. The San Jose Sharks have kind of dipped of late. So it sort of is kind of becoming a, a you know, the Jets now only have to leapfrog, I think, three teams instead of five. So although their percentages still aren't lining up all that great. The math isn't great. Uh, it's improving. And I mean, if the Jets put together another 6-2 and one stretch, I would imagine that most of those numbers would go up dramatically. But the Jets still haven't won three consecutive games <laughs> since January. So that's the big if and or but uh, for the Jets and Kevin Chevaldeoff. And that's why those final two games with the Boston Bruins and Chicago Blackhawks could ultimately determine which direction the Jets go in terms of um, staying stand, standing pat or selling and to me. I don't, I don't see them as a buyer, but mm -hmm. uh, we had the debate on the post game show. I'm like, 
Well, if the whole premise is to show belief in the current roster, don't you almost have to buy then? I mean, that would, I mean, I'm not advocating for buying, but if the whole premise is you don't want to sell because you're showing belief, then I would say the Jets in a lot of ways are obligated to try and add to the lineup, not, not by trading a first round pick, but by kind of, you know, around the periphery of the roster. We know that there hasn't been a lot of production from the fourth line this year. So uh, maybe they can find a league minimum guy or, or move a pro, you know, again, we know Christian Veselainen has struggled this year in a lot of areas, especially offensively. And quite honestly, sorry to go on this trip to the buffet here, as we like to call it. <laughs> I think that Veselainen would actually truly benefit from being sent back to the moose. I understand it's hard for a player at his age and his draft stature, but right now he has no offensive confidence. And when you look at how the moose have been playing this year under Mark Morrison, I do think that Christian Veselainen could get himself back. I don't, I know a lot of people like to throw around the word bust and those things. To me, when I've watched Dave, or him with David Gustafson in the past with the Moose, there's a talented player there. He's a big body. He can really shoot the puck, but he hasn't been in a lot of offensive situations. So to me, I think even though it would be considered a step down, I think he could really benefit from a run towards the Calder Cup playoffs and a playoff run with the Manitoba Moose. But uh, I guess we'll, that's the other part of the, you know, outside of the trade discussion, who's on that Moose Clear Day roster? Uh, that'll be something that I'll be paying close attention to as well. And what's the status of Cole Perfetti? I mean, he's not even close to being on the back on the ice yet, according to Dave Lowry. So that could impact the Jets' plans, both at the NHL level and the American League level. For sure. Um, I guess uh, we could touch on, on Perfetti there as, as you ended it off. I, I was uh, kind of wondering here uh, if, uh, you know, he, he, he does seem to be, uh, uh, as you said, uh, still a while away, but he obviously did, I would say, uh, left a pretty, pretty positive impression on Dave Lowry back in, in January and he was playing alongside of, of uh, Kyle Connor and Pierre-Luc Dubois. And he's, uh, you know, seemed to be making uh, a, a lot of nice, uh, reads and a lot of like uh beautiful passes um which 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 could uh, definitely help the Jets down the stretch I mean it's still a while before he comes back but if they are in a playoff spot do you think he he draws right back into the to the top nine or is there kind of a spot on the fourth line or does he go back right down to the moose do you think if they're in a in there in a playoff uh playoff uh playoff uh, uh playoff push I guess yeah, I mean, to me, Justin, I mean, if you were healthy, you would have stayed with the Jets. But the, the problem is when you miss that much time at his age, um, I really think he would have to probably go back. And much like David Gustafson, I know the situations are not parallel. But to me, when you miss that much time and that much action uh, as a young player, I think you probably need at least some time, like some conditioning time to get back up to speed. I mean, um, the belief was that it was a shoulder injury, I believe, based on the contact and the, and the hit that was that was that was taking place. But uh, if it's something like his back, I mean, I, I don't know how long these things take. So um, it's tough to monitor. Obviously, the Jets miss him as well. I mean, the creativity on that second power play was fantastic. We know that his vision um, was impressive. I mean, all of the offensive things were not a surprise, Justin. But for me, what I really appreciate about Cole's game is that it was his defensive awareness because of his, you know, we talk about his hockey intelligence all the time his ability to not lose a ton of board battles and not immediately get knocked off the puck and not be out of position in his own end at a time where uh, a lot of times we talk about the Jets defensive zone play and, you know, not just the wingers specifically, but I thought that Perfetti as a young guy, he didn't find a lot of pieces of video where Cole made the wrong play. And if he did, he knew right away and that he wouldn't repeat the mistake. So uh, his ability to, to process the game, like, 
his his uh, his processor moves at a lot quicker pace than most folks, and that that is what has allowed him to really accelerate his development path. Obviously, it was a tough year with COVID for a lot of people who would have played in the OHL. His ability to play as an 18-year-old in the American Hockey League was massive for him. And then I know that some folks would have preferred he stayed with the Jets or got there earlier. But his game grew so much between October and December. But that was because of his ability to go and play those major minutes with the Manitoba Moose. And then again, we know that the World Junior was cut short, but that experience helped him as well. And uh, he really took advantage of the confidence that he gained in that in those two or three month period uh, when he did get his opportunity when when injury opened the door for him to be a top six player and uh, you know sky's the limit for a guy like Cole and I think I know it's hard to be patient and uh, we know it's been hard to be patient with another one of the Jets prospects on the back end and Billy Hanela uh, but Cole Perfetti is is here to stay but that doesn't mean that he won't necessarily spend more time with the Moose and there too if the Jets don't happen to make it. Uh, and he's able to get healthy. I mean, being able to go to the Moose and be involved uh, in a playoff run there would be very helpful. I mean, I covered the American League for 10 years. Um, I saw a lot of excellent future NHLers uh, apply their trade at that level, both in the regular season and during those playoff runs. And that high-level hockey helps guys out a lot. We saw it with the St. John's Ice Caps when they went to the Calder Cup final. Uh, a lot of those guys really were able to make the jump to the uh, NHL level and, and really have some nice impact as players. So uh, it'll be interesting to monitor, but uh, I would say that uh, Cole's year has been uh, exceptional in terms of where he went from point A to point B, and also mo probably more importantly, where he's going to be to start next year. Uh, because without that time in the NHL where he was able to excel at times in that top six role, he still would have been in some ways a question mark, obviously a top prospect, but I think he, he erased a lot of the questions uh, that surrounded his game, whether how he could you know, handle the physical toll of being a you know, 16 to 20 minute player and how he would handle the defensive side, because we knew that the offensive game would translate quite easily. For sure. And I think it's been uh, super positive to see him come in there and, and have immediate success with with Dubois and Connor and to sort of give that that confidence that that this is a player that, you know, maybe isn't going to take uh, a lot of time to to adjust and adapt to the pro game. Um, I guess we'll kind of shift gears here and I want to definitely discuss the trade deadline. And uh, obviously it's coming up Monday this this Monday at uh, I think 2 p.m. Central. Is that does that sound right, Ken? Yes, sir. Yeah, three Eastern. Uh, okay, and so uh, obviously, yeah, this this recent stretch puts the Jets in a in a bit of a difficult spot. I mean, you know, like if it, obviously the the playoffs are are far from a certain thing right now. Like the the odds are are not in their favor. They have to stay hot, and even if they do get in, you're probably looking at a first round matchup with the with the Avalanche, which is like it could spell doom right i mean like that is a that is a top five like cup contending team they're 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 really prime like a lot of people might think that this is their year so i mean with that in mind obviously it is a, a team that the jets and, and management and staff kind of believed in at the start of the year that they would be a playoff team and now that they've kind of gotten back close knocking on the door it, it might be hard to, to to give up and to sell but uh, obviously, that's a that's a really important and tough call that uh, that Kevin Shoveldayoff has to make for the Jets. And I guess, yeah, like talk about the 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 idea and perhaps you know maybe uh, the option of buying, selling, or or, or standing pat at the uh, at the deadline. Yeah, I mean it's 
it's you'd love to be a fly on the wall in those meetings, right? The management mm -hmm. meetings, because uh, it, there's a lot of layers to it. I mean, let, let's start first and foremost. Uh, I mean, we, Kevin Cheveldayoff is on record of saying he's committed to, they're committed to being a cap ceiling team. They've spent into LTIR for multiple seasons now. Uh, they have traded first round draft picks when they felt they could go for it. They basically have committed to being a contender um, during the, you know, what we've, what we have named the Blake Wheeler slash Mark Shifley slash Connor Hellebuck window, which extends to two seasons beyond this one. So I don't think for a second, the Jets are going to look at this as a throwaway season, but it's complicated now because what message does it send? Uh, if, if the Jets do choose to go the asset management route and ship out Andrew Kopp and Paul Stastny, who are unlikely to re-sign with the Winnipeg Jets, there's a lot of interest in their services. Um, I mean, again, you know, would, would the Jets players in the locker room be disappointed in the short term? Of course they would. Uh, they're trying to win. They're competitive people. That, you know, but it all to me, it all depends on what the return is. Uh, one name that I've written about and talked about a lot is Jake DeBrusque. I mean, the Boston Bruins are one of the front runners for Andrew Kopp. I mean, Jake DeBrusque has asked for a trade uh, and Boston seems to be a place that might have the cap room to sign Andrew Kopp to an extension. So it wouldn't necessarily be a rental, but at the same time, if you're Boston, Jake DeBrusque has 15 goals and, you know, after, you know, kind of being more of a complimentary player jumped up into the top six when there was an injury there, did a nice job. Um, so they're trying to win as well. So they probably want to add, add Andrew Kopp for prospects and picks, but to me, the Jets need to be looking at players that have team control and that would be op options to expand, extend and expand their window of contention. Um, can they do that on the fly right now? Or, I mean, Owen Tippett is another guy that makes sense to me, Matthew Joseph, guys like that. Mm -hmm. um, but I mean, what's the drop off? And to me, the, I mean, sort of the thing with the Jets is that they have David Gustafson kind of waiting in the wings. Is he at the same level of Andrew Kopp right now? No, but he is a responsible two-way player. He's probably not going to give you the 20 to 22 minutes, but he would be able to sort of minimize the damage in terms of the drop-off that there would be when Andrew Kopp is being used in more of a third-line role, even though he's been used in a top-six role for a good chunk of this year as well. Uh, Paul Stastny is a little bit more interesting. Obviously, he's had a very uh, successful year for the Jets, 17 goals and counting. Uh, to me, the New York Rangers have been a team that have been around the Jets a lot of late and def different scouts have viewed them in different areas. So to me, uh, I think if we play the game of connect the dots, uh, Jared Gallant uh, had Paul Stastny in Vegas, was a big fan of his there. So would he make sense? I mean, Philip Cheadle played excellent in the game in Winnipeg uh, a couple of weeks back, but he had also been a healthy scratch regularly. So Paul Stastny with Barkley Goodrow on the third line. I mean, does that make some sense? Uh, of course it does. I mean, but uh, who knows, maybe they're interested in cop as well. So any team that would be looking at those two players, I think what happens, the closer you get to the deadline, if the Jets stay in it, the price goes up and then there's going to be that moment, you know, it's the game of, you know, it's, you're at the poker table. Now you're either going to slide all the, you're either sliding your chips or you're folding your hand. Uh, and that's the big, the big question. And I mean, a lot of talk around Blake Wheeler and his discussion after the game on Tuesday, uh, you know, I've covered Blake for 11 seasons. Uh, and sometimes what I would say, Justin, is it's not always what he says, but what is left unsaid or the stuff that you read between the lines. Um, I think Blake is a guy who's been very frank and forthright and uh, honest in a lot of times. But uh, I think it, to me, my biggest takeaway was that he, although he didn't come right out and say it, uh, he wants 
the Jets to keep the band together and give them a chance, uh, which is natural. That's what the captain should feel like. The captain believes in this group uh, and he wants them to stay together. Um, I mean, do they deserve one more run? Hey, I mean, that's up to the Jets. I mean, they win these next two games, depending on what happens on the out-of-town scoreboard, it's going to be awfully difficult mm-hmm. for Kevin Schivel day off to uh, be in full-on selling mode. If there's an ability to retool on the fly, I think you would have to consider it. Uh, but to me, I mean, the other part of it is this. I mean, I understand that in terms of the asset management, I understand where people are coming from. But to say the Jets got nothing from Andrew Kopp to me is a little bit of a misnomer. I mean, Andrew Kopp gave the Jets seven excellent seasons. So, um, and again, I'm not I'm not advocating to use him as a self-rental either, uh, though I could understand why they would do that. I mean, the Jets don't really have a guy there that's the same thing. We talked about JT Miller. Andrew Kopp plays on both special teams and he's a effective five on five player, whether he's on the third line or in the top six. So um, it's tough to replace that guy with one player. But at the same time, if you're looking at the future, um, you have to, these are the, you'd go bitch in Colorado. I mean, Colorado is going to be good for multiple seasons. So never mind just trying to beat them this year. If you're an eight seed and they're a one seed, that's the team the Jets have to get past just to get to the third round, right? Like in 2018. So uh, that job's not getting any easier. And if you don't think you can sign Andrew Kopp or Paul Stastny, and you can get players that might be able to help you beat them in years two and three of the window. I think Kevin Chevaldeoff has to consider it. Um, what he's going to do. I mean, if history is always a predictor of, of the future behavior, I mean, would it be likely that he sells? No, but this is a different year. And I think that the last element that I want to touch on Justin, when it comes to this is the, as the economic impact. So we know the Jets have not had a single sellout this season. Mm -hmm. Uh, We know what that playoff revenue would mean to the Winnipeg Jets at a time where during the last two seasons of the pandemic, they have lost an awful lot of money. Uh, The, you know, the impact financially of the Jets staying into the race until game 82 and potentially having, you know, two or more playoff gates where you're looking at a million or a million and a half per game. I mean, there's value in that. So uh, that's the other part. I, I know that we often talk in the asset management side of things, but uh, there's not only the human element, but there is the financial element. And for a fan base that is looking for season ticket renewals, um, if you're putting up the surrender flag, I mean, that's not going to send a very good message, A, to the players, B, to the fan base. Uh, so that those there are implications on that side, on the financial side as well, that uh, the Jets would be considering. Um how big a factor, I don't know, but I do know that those would be probably part of the discussions as well. And, and these are also competitive guys and they want to win. So, uh, but again, if the Jets lose the next two, we could have a clearer picture. If they win the next two, the picture is probably uh, equally clear. Uh, probably the worst thing the Jets could do uh, is split those two games <laughs> on the weekend. And now is, and now Kevin Sheveldayoff is not only looking at his phone, he is, uh, you know, flipping the coin and thinking, man, oh man, which way... Uh, is it going to go here? But uh, I mean, obviously, it's a, it has far-reaching ramifications, not just in the short term, but for the long term. And again, there could be bigger decisions looming uh, during the offseason. I mean, we talk about defense. The Jets went from having a shortage to a surplus in a matter of months, and now they don't have enough, you know, in the game of musical chairs, there's not enough seats at the table right now. And the only way to to get a seat open is by moving somebody, but mm-hmm. then, then who do you move? I mean, do you move the guy that's most expensive? Do you move the guy that's cheapest? Do you move someone in the middle? I mean, it, it's a, it's a, the puzzle here uh, is very much incomplete, 
but there are a lot of moving parts and a lot of pieces that um, it, it's a it's a calculated game of Tetris and if, trying to find that uh, lining up is going to be very interesting and and that's why uh, that's why the, the general manager gets paid uh, the big dollars. For sure, um, one thing that I uh, I I really uh, really do agree with that you touched on there. I think. Um, yeah, I, I don't think the Jets are in the position to be buying like rental players. You, you, you did mention that if they were to add, it would have to be around the fringes, perhaps guys with team control. And I think, you know, that's that's really important because obviously, you know, um, adding uh, adding a pure on rental, not only a is it hard to do with the salary cap, obviously, the, you know, the Jets are a cap team and they would have to really you know, work some magic to, to even make it work under the cap if they went out and, and, and got a got a big name. But like, I, I just think that, you know, if you if you are adding somebody that has control, it can maybe help you out this year, but also next year, which would be equally as important and that you don't, uh, you know, kind of throw out all your assets, all, all your draft picks, empty the cupboards for, for, for this season. And, and, and I think that that's really an important piece that you touched on there. I think uh, you also kind of mentioned with with Cop and Stasny, I think for me, a, a lot of it is going to depend on uh, what the what the price of those players is. If you're getting kind of like you know a, a little bit of like a eh, return for for Cop, maybe I don't do it. If you're getting like a first round pick or a really good prospect and maybe a, a middle pick, like that gets a lot more tempting, right? So I think it, it it's it's going to really depend on kind of what the what the market's like and what the price is. And uh, it's certainly certainly interesting for for Shevel Dayoff. You obviously mentioned it is a it is a business first, and or uh, at, you know that that is certainly a a factor that is important, and they, they do want that playoff revenue. And so you know it it's it's certainly there's there's so many dynamics to this that that make this trade deadline going to be so fascinating to see. And uh, yeah, I mean I, I guess we'll have to you know wait. It's it's just a few days away now. We won't have to wait much longer to see how it how it shakes out. And uh, super, super excited to see how that uh, how that goes. I think uh, kind of at the end there, you were you were kind of mentioning what I was going to ask you next. So that's a, a very good transition. You, you mentioned kind of their uh, they went from kind of bare on defense to now it's a it's a bit of a strength and, and especially the, the left handed D. Right. You kind of have a bit of a of a log jam going into into the future, I, I would say maybe not maybe not. Uh, as much this year with kind of like Hanel and Sandberg, maybe not, not, not being an impact down the stretch, but when you look at it, big picture, right. You have Morrissey who's obviously solidified himself as the, as the number one D for now. And he's under contract for a while. You have uh, Brendan Dillon who's under term, I think for another three years. So those are, those are two kind of the top four left shot D kind of locked down. And then you have your prospects like the Stanleys, like the Hanelas, like the Sandbergs, I'd even throw in Declan Chisholm, who really impressed me in the in the couple of games that he got earlier in the year. So I mean, that's that's quite a quite a logjam there. Can um, kind of on on the left shot D. How do you see them kind of handling it? Do, do do you think maybe they move a guy like a Dylan or 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 maybe like a, a Stanley or Hanela in the offseason to kind of clear some space? Do you think they maybe shift somebody over to the right hand side? I guess how do you kind of see that that logjam playing out as we? kind of look forward into the into the future for for the Jets yeah I think Hanel would be the best bet to go on to the right side because just because of his aggressive nature I think it's an easier transition for him obviously you know being on your backhand side can provide some challenges as we know even with Nate Schmidt a veteran guy uh, in that role uh, but you're right I mean Declan Chisholm is a guy who you know having watched him a little bit with the Manitoba Moose because of his skating ability he can play at the NHL level I mean that that's why he was able to show that so easily 
uh, in his transition when he made his debut and, and had the follow-up game. Uh, do I think he's ready for next season? I mean, not necessarily, and there's no rush with him, uh, but he's a guy that would be knocking on the door. Uh, when it comes to Brendan Dillon, it's simple for me. I mean, if the Jets are trying to be tougher to play against, it's hard to imagine them moving the defenseman that's probably toughest to play against from mm-hmm. the physical standpoint. Uh, but you're also looking to Dylan Sandberg is also a big and strong and physical guy. So I think the Jets would be better off with both Sandberg and Dylan in the lineup. But I mean, then maybe one of those guys has to move to the right side. So uh, it's definitely complex. I mean, you know, Dylan DeMello is another classic example. I mean, to me, it reminds me of the 2018 season where uh, the Jets had the luxury of having Tyler Myers and Dmitry Kulikov on the third pairing, uh, but they were making $10 million between the two of them, right? So uh, as a cap ceiling team, you don't, you can't afford that. So mm-hmm. um, I mean, that's same, uh, similar to Dylan DeMello. Like when he was on the third pairing last year at 3 million, it's probably a little bit too much to be playing on the third pairing, but on the top pairing with Josh Morrissey, Three million is not a bargain, but you know it's a lot different getting twenty minutes a game versus twelve. So the other part about Demello is that he doesn't give you a ton of offense, and he's not super physical, but he's very defensively aware. He's a good puck mover, very smart, nice complementary piece. So, um, I mean, what's the drop off between Dylan Demello and Johnny Kovacevic, who is a little bit bigger and stronger, uh, also doesn't give you a ton of offense, but is mobile. Uh, maybe a little bit tougher to play against physically and is a you know, league minimum versus 3 million. So again, I'm not saying the Jets should replace Dylan DeMello with Johnny Kovacevic, but I mean, it's another one of the options they have to consider if they're making room for a handle and a Sandberg, but now, now you have still have too many deck chairs moving on here. So um, it's complicated. And, and now too, we're talking about op- forward depth. The Jets don't have a ton of forward depth in the prospect pool, uh, you know, beyond a Nathan Smith who they still would have to sign after his year this year. So can you turn one of those defensemen uh, not into a throwaway, but into, you know, some forward help, or can you clear the cap space? I mean, I honestly, I don't have a great grip on which way they're going to go, which direction. Mm -hmm. I mean, people would say, well, Nate Schmidt makes the most money. They have to move Nate Schmidt. Well, I mean, because he makes the most money and because he has more term uh, it also makes that complicated as well. And uh, the one thing I have mentioned a few times, both with, uh, you know, on Winnipeg Sports Talk and with with our own show, the one thing that is intriguing to me, and again, I don't, I'm not advocating for the Jets to move Nate Schmidt either, because I think he's done a great job of bringing that sunny demeanor into the Winnipeg Jets room. But similar to what I said before, I mean, almost 5.9 million on the third pairing is not great value for a team that's at the cap ceiling. So Buffalo will be looking for a partner for Owen Power. So does Nate Schmidt make sense for as a partner for Owen Power? He's very experienced. He's played a top four role a lot during his NHL career. He plays his offside comfortably. Uh, the Buffalo Sabres would have a little bit of cap flexibility to absorb that contract. Would he be appealing to their scouts? That I don't know, but I would imagine he would be one of those players under consideration. Uh, but if he's a good partner for Owen Power, wouldn't he be a good partner for Vili Hainala or Dylan Sandberg, right? I mean, that... that that mentorship role, there's value in that as well. But uh, the fact of the matter is this, they're going to have to move somebody. And I would think they would be leaning towards moving one of the veterans. But if they're not going to lean towards the veterans, then you should move one of the prospects. But to me, I don't think Billy Hanley gets moved. I understand folks think he's upset with uh, you know all the amount of time he's missed. Also a friendly reminder to the listeners, 
Vili Hainala played the same number of games as Cole Perfetti did last year, and it didn't seem to impact Cole Perfetti's development path this year. Like I said, I'm not saying it's good that he's been sitting out, but he's played plenty in the last little while. And at just turning 21 years old, um, the future is very bright for Vili Hainala. And I don't think they move him because I think he's their best chance at having a top pairing guy in the system. You don't just throw those guys away, even if there is a level of disappointment and frustration. Again, history. Look at the history. Evander Kane asked for a trade a lot of times before he got moved. Uh, there were all, you know, all kinds of talk around Jacob Trouba about when he would be moved. The Jets didn't move him until the year before he was a UFA. So Vili Hainala is going nowhere unless they're bringing in some kind of a high-end forward for him. And again, even then, I don't think the Jets are moving Vili Hainala. So uh, although I understand it's tough to be patient when it comes to him, uh, I think he's going to play a lot of very impactful games for the Winnipeg Jets in the not-too-distant future. Sorry, that was me. That was me standing on the fence. Uh, I don't have a great answer. I do think that one of those the veterans will be moved, and maybe a second guy could be moved because I think that uh, what we learned this year is that some of their you know, D prospects are further along than maybe even the Jets expected. When I, specifically with Chisholm, I think everyone expected Dylan Sandberg uh, mm -hmm. to be close to ready, but again, having the high ankle sprain on his first day of training camp kind of set him back a couple of months, right. but he did right. a really nice job of getting back, and then he had that weird hand injury. Uh, right when it looked like he was about to secure his spot in the lineup. So, um, I mean, I would say too, that the Jets defense core, I think is, has been upgraded. And I think it will be further upgraded when some of these young guys uh, can make their way in. But I also think there is a lot of value in a lot of those veterans. It's just been a weird year. And, and one thing I should mention, I mean, I mentioned it often. Uh, we know that Neil Pionk is playing through some kind of injury, but um, it hasn't been a good year for Neil Pionk. I mean, right. his offensive numbers have been okay, but uh, for the guy who had been the Jets' best defenseman for the previous two seasons. Uh, there was a drop-off in his game this year, and, and that has been and had an impact on where they are in the standings as well. And um, again, it's never about effort for me with Neil Pionk, but ever since he got the suspension for the kneeing on Rasmus Sandin and he had the concussion, it took him a long, it took him a while to get back into that A aggressive nature and B making those decisions that we're used to seeing him make in, in you know, split second time that made him a really dogged and determined defender. Uh, I think we're seeing a, a better version of Neil Pionk lately, but there was a tough stretch there in, you know, games, you know, whatever it was, 32 to, to 55 or so, uh, where he just wasn't himself. And, and, and that was a factor um, for the Winnipeg Jets as well. And I think the fact that he's kind of turning the corner also sort of helps them as they try to stack up another one of these six, two and one runs here. Yeah, I think that's uh, that's definitely interesting. Obviously, the uh, the last few years you had uh, Neil Pionk really step up and 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 take uh, a, a, you know command of that uh, you know the of the blue line, and then obviously with with Morrissey, obviously the the you know the situation he was in, it's obviously understandable. But he was kind of uh, having a couple of down years, and now they've kind of they've kind of switched and 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 reversed, and and now Morrissey is back on that top one, and you don't have the best version of of Neil Pionk, so. I guess that's that's unfortunate, but that's kind of the way it uh, the cookie crumbles sometimes. I uh, <laughs> I know it's you a mentioned... Seinfeld episode, Justin. It's like Jerry. One of my friends is up, the other one's down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so um, for sure. And I know you mentioned too. You're kind of on the fence about about how they how they kind of settle that. And and I mean, I'm I'm kind of the same way. Like I I see a bunch of different ways that they could uh, you know handle those 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 prospects coming in. I mean, obviously waivers does become a bit of a concern at at, at some point, and uh, 
Yeah, I mean, the, the, the one thing I will say, my preferred move was to look at moving a guy like like Brendan Dillon, especially if he can net you. I mean, this was this was back before the, the, the playoffs were a realistic perhaps goal, but like the the, the market, I mean, if there's a, a bidding war going on for, for Ben Sherratt, and, and perhaps he nets you a, 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 a big uh, return. Like if you're one of the teams, contending teams that misses out on Sherratt, do you look at, oh, maybe a guy like Brendan Dillon, he has some term, maybe we go in on him and, and they get a huge return for Dillon. And maybe that frees up some room for, for the guys like Hainala and Sandberg. But uh, I mean, now that it's kind of, you know, back, back towards a, a playoff crunch, it's really difficult to kind of sell that to your group if you're Kevin Shevel day off. And, and, and I mean, it just, kind of kind of muddies that situation up even further so it'll, it'll be i guess certainly interesting to see uh how they handle that but i guess um obviously that kind of isn't a pressing issue right now with kind of the this this recent run that they've had and they have maybe next off season to kind of figure that one out yeah and the last thing with dylan i want to say just here's a guy the jets are trying to get back to being winners i mean brendan dylan went to the stanley cup final with the san jose sharks in 2016 he, he was around a really good program in the washington capitals I mean, he's a really, he's a guy that I could see wearing a letter for the Jets, you know, so to me, those aren't the kind of guys that you ship out, mm -hmm. but at the same time, they are the kind of guys that bring back the most value. Right. So, I mean, the, 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 it, it does, like I said, we've used the word complicated a lot in this episode, and uh, it really is a complicated scenario. The puzzle is not, if it were an easy puzzle to fix, uh, <laughs> I think it would, it would already be fixed, I think. So, right. but again, I mean, what they decide is going to have you know, major consequences in terms of which way the direction this team goes and, and how they attack the off season, let alone what they attack the trade deadline. So uh, there are some big decisions looming for the Winnipeg Jets and uh, how they come to terms with those things will uh, not only determine maybe where they end up this year, but for years to come. So, I mean, that's what makes it kind of intriguing for us to, to monitor. That's for sure. Okay. Uh, one more thing I wanted to get your, uh, your take on here is, is uh, Pierre-Luc Dubois uh, specifically, he himself has had, uh, you know, uh, such a, an awesome like bounce back rebound season. He's been uh, on that Jets top power play unit. I, I think he still leads the team in power play goals. I know he has 12. He's been super effective there. He's been, you know, kind of that, that really like uh, specifically annoying player to play against. He's kind of that, that, that pest, right? Like you mm -hmm. see it on, on other teams and it's been, I guess kind of a, a while since the Jets have had sort of like that big, strong kind of bully that that that, that Dubois kind of is. And, and obviously not only is he a pest, but he's also a very effective player, both in the in the shot metrics and 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 shot generation at five on five and also uh finishing. He's able to, you know, he's a positive finisher, he's a he's a scorer. He's kind of, you know, whereas last season it was a, a disappointment, he's kind of really um hat fit 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 in quite nicely and perhaps even amongst some of the fans perhaps is threatening Mark Shifley for that number one center role I know obviously still I think if you were to ask Dave Lowry you know he he, he obviously might not come out and say this but by the ice time it looks like it's still Mark Shifley just edging but at the at the uh, you know the worst case scenario for Dubois it seems like it's a one-two punch right now and perhaps um as as Dubois grows into his role maybe he does get that number one center role so I just want to get your opinion on Pierre-Luc Dubois season as a whole so far and how he's fit in with the Jets and then of course obviously he's an RFA at the end of the season Ken uh he's making five million dollars right now he's going to get a raise on that almost certainly well for sure I I, I you know I would assume and then uh so I guess 
do you think both parties want a long-term contract here or is there like probably not another bridge and if so what do you think the AAV is do you think it's around the ballpark of seven million eight million what's the kind of market value for a player of Dubois stature right now as we uh, head into his uh, offseason as an RFA yeah, for sure, Justin. And after Kevin Chevalier gets through with the complicated scenarios of who to trade and who not to trade, uh, it, we, one of the first orders of business will be signing Pierre-Luc Dubois. Right. Uh, it's the biggest offseason, um, you know, priority for the Winnipeg Jets. I do think that this is a mutual relationship that extends uh, multiple seasons. Um, complicated matter is with the flat cap world. I mean, does Dubois prefer five years? Would you go max term? Uh, and if you go max term, the AAV is muddy as well. I mean, to me, it's definitely north of seven and a half. Uh, I think it's north of eight. I think if we're if we're looking at a number one center that you're locking down, uh, the debate with Pierre-Luc Dubois was always whether he could be a 65-point player or an 82-point player. Uh, and again, I know this is not just about points when you have a player that brings the value that he does in terms of the engagement, the physical side of things, uh, the leadership skills, uh, his ability to play in big games. And I've said it all year long, the more responsibility the Jets have given him, the better he's played, whether that means going head to head with Austin Matthews, Connor McDavid, uh, Nathan McKinnon. Uh, he loves that. He relishes it. So to me, I think Dubois uh, is headed towards the probably the richest contract in Jets history. I don't know what the number is. I don't know if that means uh, eclipsing the, I think the 50 million for Josh Morrissey, uh, or the 8.25 that Blake Wheeler is currently on. Um, the thing that's important to remember with Dubois, that just because of the way that the scenario worked out with, with starting late, uh, his, his AAV is, is uh, lower than his actual, I think he's making almost uh, 6.8, 6.75. So we're 6.5 or higher this year. Um, so I do think that he is going to be north of seven and a half. I think he's north of eight. Um, and you know, as I wrote in my uh, January New Year predictions uh, for the Winnipeg Jets, uh, I thought that I think he's going to he's going to be higher, or he's going to be at or higher than Blake Wheeler's eight point two five. But again, that depends on how many UFA years the Jets are buying, and um, how what kind of term that uh, Pierre-Luc Dubois and Pat Brisson are looking at. Uh, what I do think is that we're looking at a future captain of the Winnipeg Jets potentially. I think that his ability to uh, bounce back from last year's uh, you know really tough season. Uh, it was obviously an emotional grind for him. Um, it's, and again, we're not making excuses for him. His story is well-documented, uh, getting hurt, you know, 14 day, you know, two games after a 14 day quarantine, uh, having a public breakup uh, with the team that drafted you third overall, having a head coach kind of call you out publicly. Um, basically he went from looking like he was signing eight by eight uh, with the Columbus Blue Jackets to basically forcing his way out of town, but also kind of being shoved out of town. So uh, that can't be easy for anyone, especially at the age of 22 years old. Uh, it was a weird year last year. You can't really spend a lot of time with your teammates outside of in the rink or in your bubble atmosphere. Uh, I listened to him with, with uh, Elliot Friedman and Jeff Merrick in the summertime on, I think it was still the last episode of 31 Thoughts or 32 Thoughts when it changed. His willingness to, you know, shine a light on how things went last year, but also his ability to turn the page uh, from that and to spend extra time on the ice to get himself physically ready to play and then to embrace the spotlight the way that he has. To me, that shows uh, the true character in the individual. 
And I think that's a guy who wants to, he wants to plant his flag in Winnipeg. And I think he's going to be, uh, you know, nicely compensated for that. But I really feel like, especially with the connection he has forged with Kyle Connor, if you're Pierre-Luc Dubois, yes, he did play uh, with Artemi Panarin for, for a season. Uh, but the ability to hitch your wagon to Kyle Connor for the next, you know, six to eight years, I would say would be very appealing for Pierre-Luc Dubois. And as you mentioned, in terms of the scoring chance generation, um, his finishing has been solid. I mean, he's, he's going to set a career high for goals. He's probably going to be north of 30. But the fact that I think pe- so few people realize that he was basically running neck and neck with Austin Matthews in terms of what he generated at five on five. I mean, that that's an extraordinary number, extraordinarily high number. So to me, when you look at his skill set, his blend of raw power and um, f- uh, speed, I think those numbers should continue to go up. I mean, this is a guy who has not reached his prime years yet. So uh, I do think he can become an, a point of game player. But I think the thing with Dubois is that he's always going to provide extra, you know, value added, no matter how many points and goals he's getting. Uh, his ability to be a physical force on the power play, a net front presence, uh, his ability to draw penalties, and also the engagement level of bringing other, you know, you always hear the phrase, bringing other people into the fight. Um, there's heavy value in that. And that's why I think he's he's really embraced that leadership core component, uh, whether he's a captain or an alternate, you know, remains to be seen. But uh, this is a guy who wants to be part of, he's, he's a foundational pillar. The Jets traded a foundational pillar to get another one. And I think that he does sign long-term and now it's all about the numbers uh, making it work on the term and the AAV. For sure. And um, I guess kind of, as we wind things down here, I'll ask you one, one more question on uh, uh, Evgeny Svechnikov. I mean, uh, my, my glass is getting low of water (laughs) here. So that suggests it's probably time to, to, to to wrap it up. So it it can be quick if you want, Ken, but uh, like uh, Evgeny Svechnikov is a very interesting um, kind of a phenomenon for me. I mean, just, just his, you talk, we talked about roller coasters at the start of the year for the jets. I mean, talk about like a roller coaster personally for Svechnikov too. And the, the kind of route he takes here, he's, uh, coming in on a PTO, uh, a, a tryout PTO contract. He, uh, he signs, I believe it was on the, on the game day of the, of the first game in Anaheim. He was a healthy scratch in that game. He works his way into the lineup, then finds himself on that top line when there's, uh, the, the, the COVID, uh, with uh, Shifley and Wheeler out and he uh, he's with Connor and Dubois he, he finds success. And then, uh, you know, they come back, he moves back down the lineup. Then Dave Lowry takes over, he gets injured. He struggles to get back into the lineup. Now he works his way back into the lineup and he gets that chance with Dubois and, and, and Connor. And I mean, I thought he was excellent there in a, in a stretch for five or six games there when he was reunited with, with Kyle Connor and, and, and Dubois recently, and uh, now he's uh, he finds himself back on that third line now as they move Ehlers and Svechnikov. They do a little bit of a swap there, I guess. Um, he's personally uh, one of my favorites. He's uh, he's definitely a character, right? You see him with the with the mic'd up, and he's uh, he's uh, he's a, he's a fan favorite. But I guess on the ice, what do you make of him? Because he seems to be a guy that can kind of play up and down the lineup, and he fit in nicely for a PTO. But he also is an RFA this season. And do you think there's interest in in bringing him back? Do you think he's gonna want a raise do you think he's fine with kind of moving up and down the lineup i mean what's your temperature there on on, on Spechnikov, ken yeah he's certainly been an interesting story uh, and again from you know, from day one of the pro camp like before the main camp even started he's a guy that stands out because of his skill set uh there's a guy that i mean he hasn't shown it as often at the nhl level yet but he's got a really 
um, you know, excellent shot and release. I mean, he saw a really good scoring chance where he kind of changes his stick position and shoots to the blocker side. Uh, I think it was in the, yeah, it was in the first period um, in the game on Tuesday night. Uh, really good. He's got really good skill. Uh, he's smart. Uh, he's been good along the boards. Um, the one thing about Svechkov, he's, uh, I think, probably more to do to, with the knee injury. I mean, he's not really a burner, so he's so it makes it interesting when he plays with Dubois and Connor. I mean, he's really good in terms of being a guy who digs the puck out and makes some strong plays along the boards. But, um, you know, sometimes over long stretches, uh, it can be tough for to keep up with those guys. And I'm not just saying that for him. Mm-hmm. It's tough to keep up for anyone in the NHL because Kyle Connor is one of the fastest guys in the league and purely Dubois will be one of the most powerful. So I think there have been some moments uh, I think where purely to, or sorry, where Svechikov has got himself in trouble in terms of kind of the penalties taken. I don't, right. I mean, again, it was very ticky tack on Sunday. I mean, it, that's not slashing, but the problem there is that um, he's played the game long enough to know that after a five on three has been handed out, uh, the referees are looking to get the pennies adjusted into the pockets. <laughs> so you can't give the guy an opportunity to give you a ticky tack call. Uh, again, that that's not a personal indictment. It's just the way that the game works. And the unfortunate part for Svechnikov was that the frustration he showed, the stick smash is being mad at himself, knowing that it was a penalty that he can't take, even though he, he obviously didn't like the call. Uh, but the stick smash was not an anger at the penalty as much as it was probably at the disappointment of the timing and those sorts of things. So uh, the most important thing about Svechnikov is that he's shown an ability to handle whatever circumstances have been thrown his way. And based on how he shared his uh, a little bit of personal strife in terms of, you know, his family moving around uh, Russia, sleeping on floors, parents working multiple jobs. I mean, so if you've dealt with that as uh, as part of your life, you could probably handle a demotion a little bit better than somebody else. Um, ultimately, I do think there is a, a path to a future relationship. I mean, uh, Svechnikov has played very well. His underlying numbers, as you know, have been very solid. I do think there is a future with him with the Winnipeg Jets. Uh, it won't be for a big raise. Uh, I don't. I don't know that. I think they probably more likely to go bridge idea uh, with a modest raise. But again, this is a guy for a team that hasn't scored enough, you know, until lately. Uh, he's a nice complimentary player, and he's a guy that can give you um, finishing ability uh, as a middle six player. I would say uh, yes, you can. You know, have him on that line in spurts. Uh, is he a better option than a Cole Perfetti? Is he a better option than Nikolai Ehlers? That all depends on your roster construction and, and how you want to run your lines. But uh, he's found money in a lot of ways. The Jets were interested in him in before. It was a smart pickup. Uh, I understand the usages. There's a debate around the usage. But to me, when you're in that kind of position, there's two things. And I know it's sometimes unfair for players in those situations. The level of production was not in line with what was generated, right? So he his underlying metrics were fantastic, but there wasn't a ton of production. And when you're playing with those two guys, you have to produce. And then that's it was the same for Cole Perfetti. Uh, it doesn't mean that they don't deserve future chances with those guys because they got them and they will continue to get them, I think. Uh, but I think there there's always parts of the games where if you when you're a young player who's just barely finished the equivalent of an NHL season, I mean, it's around 90 games now, um, your leash is shorter. I mean, is that fair? No, but it, that's those are the realities. And I think his ability to bounce back and, and regroup, I think Sunday is a great example. You sit the entire second period. And then when Christian Veselainen replaces you in the doghouse, you come out and have a strong third period. 
that tells you all you need to know about how we can handle the things. Um, it's not an easy situation, and I can completely understand that. But he's not a top, you know, he's not an ingrained top six player. So that means you're going to have to continue to work at becoming that. The biggest thing for me is that he often still defers when he's playing with those two guys. This is a guy who has, like I said, when I watch him in practice, elite level shot, and I need to see it more at the NHL level. And I think that will come with time. Uh, the more comfortable a guy gets, the better he'll feel, the more you'll see. I see Evgeny Svechnikov as a guy that could give the Jets, you know, 12 to 16 goals. Like maybe, could he hit 20 if he played in the top six for a full season? I think he probably could, mm -hmm. but um, he has to show it. And I think he will continue to show it. And the reason why I like him actually with Adam Lowry, I know everyone, there's always the debate about if it's a real scoring line, if those, if, if it's on the Lowry line, Svechnikov would look for his shot more. It's like when the Jets had Jack Rozovic with those guys, because he normally would defer now you're playing on a line where you're asked to be the shooter. Mm -hmm. I think he can be an effective player in that role also, which is why I don't mind. And I don't think there's necessarily the drop off, especially when you consider Ehlers needs top six minutes. I understand the whole idea of balance, but right. the balance can't come with Nikolai Ehlers. He needs more, mm -hmm. not less. So yeah. uh, that means Svechnikov would have to bump somebody off the Shifley line uh, if you're going to use him higher in the lineup. But I actually like him with Lowry. And uh, I think he has a bright future with the Jets. Uh, I think he's enjoyed his season here, you know, even though he's had some of those roller coaster moments. And I think he's a guy that can be a nice complimentary piece uh, moving forward as well. Right. And, uh, you know, he, he kind of reminds me of, I know he's, he's, he's really good on the four check. He reminds me of, uh, and he can play up and down the lineup, right? He can play in a top six role. He can play in the bottom six and, and, and he kind of can adjust to his role. He reminds me of, of uh, Matty Perot, right? Like that same kind of archetype where he, you know, is skilled enough to play in the top six and, and know his role and to, 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 to do the, the kind of things to keep him in that role. But also when he's needed, you know, to play more of a depth role, he can kind of adjust and, and kind of, kind of fit in and, and, and kind of alter his game to, to, uh, to, to fit a, you know, bottom six role. So I think like, yeah, I mean, and also obviously the, uh, the underlying numbers too, Svechnikov has been, been pretty good. And, and Perot was, was just that for, for years with the, with the Jets. So, yeah, I mean, uh, I see a, a lot of similarities there and uh, definitely uh, looking forward to seeing what he can do perhaps uh, as he develops in the future and, and, and perhaps stays on an NHL contract. Um, the so human jumper, the human jumper cables 2.0. We'll, we'll get Svechnikov a new nickname. Well, the Rick Ralph special for Matty Perot, the human jumper cables. So <laughs> there we go. It's uh, it's right there for us, <laughs> right in front of our faces. Okay. Um, this has been super fun, Ken. I uh, I thank you for taking the time out of your out of your schedule to do this. It's uh, it's always a, always a pleasure to chat uh, Jets with you on the uh, on on the podcast here. And uh, I guess I'll just give you the floor, perhaps uh, any, any final thoughts here as we go down to this stretch run and uh, you know, the jets, uh, you know, enter the trade deadline. And of course, also the floor is yours. If you want to promote where people can find you, anything you're working on um, all, all that good stuff. Uh, right on Justin. Thanks for having me. Uh, fun to be with you. Great, great uh, visit. Uh, I know the folks at uh, jet centric have been super supportive, both of the podcast. And uh, since I went over, you know, both, during my time with the sun and at the athletic. And since I moved over to sportsnet.ca and that is uh, certainly greatly appreciated. Uh, you can find me and my work at sportsnet.ca and also at uh, cjob.com and global. 
Um, and yeah, the Kenny and Rennie podcast, we're just into around year or month 13 or 14. Been a lot of fun. We do post games after every Jets game. You can, uh, you can get them on our YouTube channel, uh, the Kenny and Rennie Show YouTube channel or wherever you get your podcasts. And yeah, overall should be a fun little stretch here. Certainly curious to see which way the direction the season goes and which way the direction the Jets go in terms of the trade deadline and uh, should be an interesting, uh, interesting stretch ahead. And yeah, a lot can happen in a, in a quarter of a season. So uh, we'll, we'll take the storylines where they take us. So great to be with you and uh, thanks for having me. All right. Thanks a lot, Ken. And uh, of course, uh, definitely if uh, the viewers out there haven't checked out the Kenny and Rennie show, what are you doing? Like it's uh, it's a, it's a, it's a lot of fun. It's uh, it's, it's good times. Uh, Sean and Sean and Ken are, are always a blast. Um, so yes, thanks again, Ken, for, for coming on here. And uh, it's, it's always great talking to you. Um, so yeah, that's uh, that's Ken Weed of Sportsnet. And of course the Kenny and Rennie show here as we uh, wind up this episode, we want to thank the listeners for sticking with us and and uh supporting us and uh obviously it'll be a busy time for us coming uh down the stretch for the jets this season um if you haven't listened to our uh, trade deadline specific preview that came out a few weeks ago i highly suggest you do that before monday's 2 p.m trade deadline and then of course uh, also on the trade deadline we plan to have uh, twitter spaces uh, so come out and, and and chat and interact with us there from uh, I believe it's about 12 p.m. We're going to try to, to join to about 2 p.m. So definitely don't want to miss that out. And uh, obviously spaces are super fun and interactive. We can get the, the listeners in to, to chime in and, and uh, you know, add to the discussion. So it's always super fun. And then, of course, stay with us on our socials down the uh, stretch run as we track the Jets and we see whether they are on Team Tank or Team uh, Playoffs. We'll see how it goes. Um, uh, just uh, one more housekeeping thing. You can follow me on Twitter at uh, Justin underscore L underscore 99. And of course the podcast at jet centric. Um, it's been a pleasure. Thank you guys for listening. And remember it's never a hi or hello. It's a go jets go. I'm Kurt Gilback and thank you for listening to the jet centric broadcast.